ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد تريدنا بسعد We finished the book last week and today is going to be an open lecture, a reminder regarding the religion that we're practicing, a reminder regarding why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us, a reminder regarding our obligations and of course the manner of fulfilling those obligations. So we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us for a purpose. Allah didn't just place us on this earth for no reason. Allah didn't just create us and leave us without a purpose. Rather, Allah created us and gave us a purpose, gave us an objective in this world, and He told us what that is in the Qur'an. So that is where Allah said, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I did not create the jinn or the humans except for them to worship me. Allah informed us, told us that our objective and our purpose on this earth is to worship our Creator, to worship our Lord to worship the one who controls all of that which is in the heavens and the earth. And then, after giving us this objective and this purpose, Allah clarified to us, made it clear how we are going to fulfill that objective and that purpose. So He sent the prophets and the messengers. Allah sent over time the various prophets and messengers in order to guide the people to the truth, to guide the people to the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So from the first of them, Noah, Nuh alayhi salam, a messenger sent by Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide the people to the worship of their Lord alone. And then after that, all of the various prophets and messengers came, sent by Allah with that same message for their people, the likes of Abraham, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Moses, Musa alayhi salam, Jesus, Isa alayhi salam, And of course the last of them all, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All of these prophets and messengers sent in order to guide the people to the truth, to take the people out of misguidance, out of darkness, into light and guidance, into the worship of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And Allah told us that in the Qur'an. 
ولقد بعثنا في كل أمة رسولا أن اعبدوا الله واجتنبوا الطاغوت Allah told us that indeed we sent to every nation a messenger preaching to them worship your Lord worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and abstain from the false deities abstain from all of those false gods the false deities and worship only your Lord the creator your Lord the one who created the heavens and the earth the one who created you and gave you purpose and gave you the guidance by sending the prophets and the messengers by sending the books so you have a zabur and you have the Injil, the Bible, you have the Torah, the Torah, and you have the Qur'an, the final revelation that abrogates and overrides all of the other previous revelations. Within that is guidance for mankind. Everything that we need to bring us closer to paradise to keep us upon the path to paradise, and everything that would take us towards the hellfire, then we've been told what those things are, in order to be able to stay away from them. All of that which is impermissible and incorrect for the person to do, we've been told so that a person can make sure that they live their lives upon the worship of their Lord, upon the worship of their Creator. For indeed, that is the objective of this existence. Allah created us and placed us upon this earth as a test to see who will be from the rightful servants worshipping their Lord, and who will be from the disobedient, refusing to worship their Creator? So that is the test. And Allah has told us in the Qur'an once again, that this is the test. Allah mentioned, it is said, الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةِ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا Allah is the one who created death and life to test you which of you will be the best in your deeds. So, we know that in order to pass this test in this world, then we need to follow the guidance (coughs) that Allah has sent to us to follow the guidance that has been sent to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the revelation that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught and that is what is known as the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Those are the two sources of knowledge regarding our obedience and worship to Allah, because we do not worship Allah randomly, or in any way that we think seems to be good. A Muslim worships Allah 
in the way that Allah has taught us to worship Him. We don't just worship Allah blindly. We don't just worship Allah in any way that you can think of that seems good. We worship Allah in the way that Allah has commanded us to worship Him. And that is mentioned in the Qur'an also. Mentioned regarding the fact that if you truly love Allah, then follow the messenger, follow the guidance. قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ Say that if you truly love Allah, then follow me. Follow me and he will love you and forgive for you your sins. So we must follow the guidance, the revelation that has come. That revelation which teaches us how to live every aspect of our lives. Teaches us how to live on a daily basis from morning to evening to sleep to waking from eating and clothes and every affair. The religion teaches us everything. And that's why the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, تَرَكْتُ فِيكُمْ شَيْئَيْنِ مَا إِن تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِمَا لَن تَظِلُّوا بَعْدِي كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّتِي That I have left two things behind. As long as you cling on to them, then you will not go astray. You will not be misguided. They are the book of Allah, the Qur'an, and the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because we know he is the last of the prophets, the last of the messengers. Before him, the others, they came as we mentioned. The other prophets and the messengers came, and they were sent by Allah, and they were given revelation from Allah. But then the last one to come from all of them was the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Allah told us in the Qur'an that he does not speak from his own desires. He doesn't make anything up. Rather what he teaches us is what is in the Qur'an or what is in the revelation. وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ That the Prophet ﷺ does not speak from his desires. Rather it is revelation that is inspired upon him. Revelation that came to the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Allah told us in the Qur'an also, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا That which the Prophet وسلم, gives you, then take it. And that which he prohibits you from, then abstain from it. In a hadith, the Prophet وسلم, mentioned the same thing. مَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ فَأْتُوا مِنْهُ مَسْتَضَعْتُمْ وَمَا نَهَيْتُكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا That which I have commanded you with, then do as much as you are able, 
and that which I have prohibited you from, then abstain from it. That is the test for us all in this world. Are we going to live our lives in a useless way without any objective or goal in reality? Living our lives doing nothing of any real purpose and then you die and you become dust in the soil and that's it? That cannot be the purpose of this existence. There is certainly something far greater, a far greater reason for our being here. And that is certainly the fact that Allah, the Creator, the Lord has created us all for His worship and obedience. It mentions in a hadith, the Prophet said, كل أمتي يدخلون الجنة إلا من أبى The Prophet Muhammad said All of my ummah All of the Muslims Will enter paradise Except for those who refuse Except for those who refuse. So then the companions of the Prophet ﷺ asked him, وَمَنْ يَأْبَى يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Who would possibly refuse? Who would possibly refuse entry into paradise? قال, he said, مَنْ أَطَاعَنِي دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَنْ عَصَانِي فَقَدْ أَبَى Whomsoever obeys me, then he will enter paradise. But whomsoever disobeys, then they have refused their own opportunity for paradise. If you disobey and you do not, Live your lives in obedience to Allah, in worship of your Lord, then you are refusing yourself entry into paradise. Because we know the Prophet ﷺ told us, when you die, nothing is going to go with you into your grave. Nothing is going to help you in the afterlife, except... Your deeds, your actions and what you did in this life. So in the narration it mentions, يَتْبَعُ الْمَيِّتَ ثَلَاثًا أَهْلُهُ وَمَالُهُ وَعَمَلُهُ فَيَرْجِعُ اثْنَانِ وَيَبْقَى وَاحِدٌ يَرْجِعُ أَهْلُهُ وَمَالُهُ وَيَبْقَى عَمَلُهُ That three things follow a deceased individual to his grave, his family and his wealth and his actions, his deeds. Two of them, they come back. They do not go with the person into his grave. His family, they come back. They bury that person, their relative, and then they leave the graveyard and go. His money comes back, it doesn't go with him into the grave. The inheritors, they will take what is bequeathed for them from that inheritance. 
The only thing that will remain with a person when he enters that grave will be the deeds that he has done in this life, the actions that he has performed. That is what his accountability will be upon on the day of judgment. And every person will be accountable for his own deeds. You will not be able to blame anybody else. You will not be able to claim somebody else is at fault for your shortcomings. Allah said in the Hadith Qudsi, إِنَّمَا هِيَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ It is your actions, your deeds, أَحْصِيهَا لَكُمْ That we take into accountability for you. فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا فَلْيَحْمَدِ اللَّهِ So whomsoever finds goodness on that day, then let him thank Allah. وَمَنْ وَجَدَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكَ But whomsoever finds anything other than that, فَلَا يَلُومَنَّ إِلَّا نَفْسَهِ Then let him not blame anybody else, Accept himself. You will be accountable upon your deeds. If you live a life of negligence, a life that is wasted, no seeking of knowledge, no practice of your religion, no worship of Allah, living your lives wasting it, just eating and drinking and sleeping, then as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullahu ta'ala mentioned, your lives are no better than the lives of the cattle. The animals that graze in the fields, they eat and they drink and they sleep and they reproduce. If that is all you are doing with your lives, eating, drinking, sleeping, reproducing, then that is no different to what the animals in the fields do. They eat and they drink and they sleep and they reproduce. Allah, your Lord, ennobled you and gave you a level of intellect and nobility and dignity over and above the animals. Gave you a level of intellect superior to that of the animals. You have been given that intellect and ability to recognize and understand the responsibilities upon you in this world. The responsibilities upon you in your worship of your Lord who created you. Because there will come a day when there will certainly be a resurrection. The day of judgment is real and it will occur. It cannot be that this world just moves around and passes on and people live and die and that's it. Nothing occurs afterwards, that cannot be. No intelligent person would say that is it. There is something greater behind it all. And that is of course that there will be a resurrection. There will be a day of judgment when every person is raised up out of their graves raised up from the places that they died in. Just as it mentions in the Qur'an, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا 
When the earth shakes, that tremendous shaking, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا When that earth shakes, that tremendous shaking, then what happens after that? What happens after that? What is mentioned in the surah? وَأَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا what is the athqal? That the earth will remove and expel its burden. What is the burden being referenced in that surah? The bodies of all of the people. That they will be expelled from the ground. And every person will be resurrected. يَوْمَ يَكُونُ النَّاسُ كَالْفَرَاشِ الْمَبْثُوثِ as it says in the other chapter in the Qur'an, that on that day people will be resurrected, every person, from the time of Adam, Adam alayhi salam, the first person, up until the last person ever, all of them will be raised up from the ground and resurrected, and they will be like scattered moths everywhere. يَوْمَ يَكُونُ النَّاسُ كَالْفَرَاشِ الْمَبْثُوثِ There will be like scattered moths everywhere in confusion and scattered around here and there. People everywhere resurrected from their graves for that accountability to occur. And that is when you will be given your books, your books of deeds. Because we know as the Prophet Muhammad told us, and as it is mentioned in the Qur'an, that there are angels with us always, writing down everything we do, writing down all of our deeds, everything from goodness and from evil, all of your statements of goodness or evil. وَإِنَّ عَلَيْكُمْ لَحَافِظِينَ كِرَامًا كَاتِبِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ مَا تَفْعَلُونَ Indeed, we have upon you those noble guardians. They write what you do and they know everything you do. Those books with your deeds will be shown to you on that day. So whomsoever has a heavy book with good deeds in it, then those are the people who are successful on that day. فَمَنْ ثَقُلَتْ مَوَازِينُهُ That whomsoever his weighing scale is heavy on that day, فَهُوَ فِي عِيشَةِ الرَّاضِيَةِ Then they will be in, the, in the, the land or the existence of bliss. They will be in the life of bliss and pleasantness, paradise. But those who come for their accountability on that day, and they have wasted their lives refusing to acknowledge what cannot be rejected. The fact that you have been created by your Lord, created by the Creator. You were not just created by chance. It wasn't just a big bang. It wasn't just chance that created you and brought you here. It was planned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, created by the Creator, placed us here and gave us objective to test us. 
So your accountability will be there. And if your deeds are not there, you wasted your life. فَمَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ Those whose weighing scales are light. وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُمُّهُ هَاوِيَةُ If your weighing scales are light on that day, then you will be in a pit of the hellfire. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَ نَارٌ حَامِيَةُ How will you know what this pit is? It is a blazing fire, a pit in the hellfire. That is what is mentioned and certainly that is what will occur. There will be a resurrection. There will be the accountability on that day. And there will be the people of paradise and the people of hellfire. So a person needs to ponder and needs to consider what he has done with his life so far and what he is going to do with what is left of his life afterwards. You don't know what is left of your life. You don't know how long you have to go. كُلُّ نَفْسٍ ذَائِقَةُ الْمَوْتِ As Allah told us in the Qur'an, every soul shall taste death. That is inevitable. It cannot be avoided. Every soul shall taste death. The only question is what will be your state at that time when death comes upon you? What will be your state? Will you be upon a state of negligence? Or will you be upon a state of obedience and worship to your Lord? So this is something to bear in mind very carefully. To take into consideration very carefully. Every moment that passes by, every day and night that passes by, is your opportunity slipping away. For indeed there are only three places we will all live in. There is this world, then there is the barzakh, which is the the place between this world and the afterlife. That is where you will be up until the day of resurrection occurs. And then everybody is raised into the afterlife, into paradise or hell. From those three places, only one of them is your opportunity for good deeds. And that is now and here in this world. Those good deeds, like we said, it cannot just be from your own judgment what you think is okay. It cannot just be from your own understanding of what you think is okay. It has to be from the revelation from Allah. What Allah has taught us, what we have learnt in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. That's why Allah told us in the Qur'an, فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا That whomsoever wishes to meet his Lord, then let him do the righteous actions. And do not associate any partners to Allah. That is the basis of this religion of Islam. The very foundation of this religion is to single out Allah alone for worship. As opposed to other religions in the world where they have partners and equals and multiple entities that make up 
the God that they may worship, multiple entities, that is not the way Islam taught. There is only one Lord, one Creator, no multiple entities or versions or sections of that Lord. There is only one Lord, one Creator. He is the one to be worshipped alone. That is the basis of the religion of Islam. And that is why we know, we've been told in the Qur'an, وَاعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and do not associate any partners with Him. Similarly, in many other ayat, the prophets and the messengers who came, all of them used to say the same thing to their people. يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهِ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَهٍ غَيْرُهُ O oh, people, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You do not have any other deity to worship besides Him. There is no other deity in truth to be worshipped. And that's why we say, La ilaha illallah. That there is no deity, no God in truth to be worshipped except Allah. It is the religion of purity. The religion of sincerity, purifying worship exclusively for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. No partners of any kind, no associates, no going to the graves of the dead people and calling upon them, no beliefs in holy men or all of these types of things that the people say. Rather, it is the worship of your Lord alone, singled out, Upon the revelation that we've been given, upon the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and that is the way of the Salaf, just like it mentions in the hadith of Aisha, "Man ahdatha fi amrina hada, ma laysa minhu fahuwa rad." Whomsoever innovates or brings about something new into our religion of Islam, then it will be rejected. Nobody can bring anything they want and claim it's Islam. Islam has been taught very clearly in the scriptures. And nobody can make up new things and invent new things and say it's Islam. Islam is a clear, balanced religion. No extremism in it and no negligence in it. So all of what you see in the people today, then that is not the reality of the representation of Islam. All of those who you see upon extremism, you see them in their excessiveness, you see them going beyond the bounds, claiming that it is from Islam, Islam is innocent of their actions. Those extremists who claim in the name of Islam that it is permissible to kill men, women, children, Muslim, non-Muslim, anybody to go and blow up and to bomb and to do this and that. All of those actions of theirs are from the actions of extremism that Islam is completely innocent of. The Prophet Muhammad never taught us to do those things. The Qur'an never taught us to do those things. That is their excessiveness beyond the bounds of what Islam has taught. And similarly, on the other side of the scale, those who are negligent and fall short 
So you have the likes of Al-Ikhwan Al-Muslimin and others claiming you can do whatever you want. Islam is an open religion. You don't have to practice all of it. You can have different beliefs. You can have different opinions. Well, that is going against the very basis of religion. In that case, just say you're not following the religion. If you're following the religion, it is something clear in the scriptures. It is not about you saying this is okay, that's okay, do what you want. If you do what you want, that is what causes chaos and corruption upon the earth. When everybody wants to do whatever they want, and they think their intelligence is the best, then that never comes to a conclusion. The best way, the only way, is the way of revelation from the Lord, from the Creator, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the only revelation to be followed. That is the way of salvation for mankind in this world and in the afterlife. As Allah told us in the Qur'an, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُصْرِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ That by time, Allah said, by time, mankind is in loss. Allah is telling us all of us are in loss. Except for those who have their faith, they have their iman and their belief in Allah, and they do their righteous actions, their good deeds, they live their lives in obedience to Allah, and they enjoin the good, enjoin the good and forbid the evil upon each other, and they enjoin patience upon one another, because this world it requires patience, this life it requires patience, it requires patience from a person to get through the difficulties that we may face in the decree. Difficulties in yourself, in your health, in your wealth, in your families. Difficulties we all experience. And that is from the test that Allah has placed upon us. As Allah said in the Quran, those are the days that we alternate between the people. Some days are decreed for you of happiness and joy, and then other days come to you with sorrow and grief. Those are the days that rotate amongst the people as a test upon us. Who will remain patient with their trust in their Lord? Who will remain patient with their trust in their Creator? Returning back to Him, supplicating and praying to Him. And who will lose their patience and lose their trust in their Lord and go off and do what they want and destroy their lives, destroy their afterlives. That is the test in this world. To be obedient to Allah requires patience. To stay away from the impermissible and the haram things. To stay away from all of those things that are impermissible requires patience. And when you face difficulties in life, those tests and trials that come to you, then that requires patience. That's why we say, with all of this, we need to return back to the sources, the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. They were the companions of the Prophet wasallam. They are the ones that the Prophet told us, 
خير الناس القرن الذي بعثت فيهم ثم الذين يلونهم ثم الذين يلونهم the best of the people of the generation I have been sent in that is the companions of the Prophet then those who follow them then those who follow them they are the salaf as-salaf as-salih the righteous predecessors those students of the Prophet Muhammad so when we are learning our religion we don't learn it from the extremists and the misguided people claiming in the name of Islam they do what they do and Islam is innocent of them we go back to the sources the revelation from Allah the word of Allah the Quran to examine and find out what our religion is the balanced religion of Islam the practice of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the practice of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum because in the end like we said it is all going to come down to what you did with your lives that accountability on the day of resurrection will occur and you will all be tested upon your deeds what you did with your lives what you put forth have you put forth anything good or have you wasted your lives with nothing and that is why in that hadith the Prophet mentioned like we said فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا Whoever finds goodness on that day then let him thank Allah وَمَنْ وَجَدَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكَ But whoever finds something else i.e. badness you find yourself in badness on that day nothing good for you then do not blame anybody else only yourself you will be to blame for your own end result. So now Allah has given us this opportunity. Given us this opportunity for rectification. Given us this opportunity to realize the truth and the purpose and the objective of our lives. To realize the goal behind which Allah created us and placed us here. And to practice that from this moment to practice that and to fulfill that objective and that purpose in the correct and proper manner following the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. So upon that note and that brief reminder, we'll round off this small session today, this open lecture today as a brief reminder and if there's any questions or anything else anybody has, then we can open up the floor to that for the time that remains. Somebody who has recently accepted the religion. Firstly, then it shows that they've understood what we've been talking about today. They've realized their purpose in life. They've realized what their goal is. They've understood that Allah has created them for that objective. And they've understood the alternative would be a life that is wasted with no purpose and no goal in reality. So that is a great blessing from Allah. A great blessing from Allah upon that person that They've been guided to the truth and they've seen the objective and the purpose of their life now so that they can fulfill that. So when a person becomes Muslim, then slowly, of course, he's going to start learning 
the various obligations of the religion, the various aspects of the religion, the key aspect being what we talk, talked about, about Tawheed, meaning the need to understand that the religion is based upon the pure, singled out worship of Allah alone. There is no partners, no equals, no multiples, no sections. It is the worship of Allah alone. That is the basis. Shirk is the greatest sin a person can do Islamically. Meaning that you worship others alongside Allah. So that is the key to start learning. Then on top of that, of course, you're going to slowly start learning the prayer. Because the prayer is an obligation five times a day. Five times a day that a Muslim prays to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you need to slowly start learning how to do that prayer on a daily basis. Start learning it at the times of the prayer. How to pray, what to read. Slowly start memorizing those things. It will take time, of course it will. But you're not the first person to become Muslim. Many, many before you have become Muslim. And when they became Muslim, they were in the exact same situation as you are now. And slowly they learnt and they learnt until they knew how to pray fully and properly. Maybe even better sometimes you see, even better than somebody who was born and raised as a Muslim. Some people they become Muslim and eventually they learn even better than somebody who's been raised as a Muslim for the last 30 years. So it takes time but slowly you start doing it step by step. Make sure you put time aside on a regular basis to uh, learn from the Muslims who know about the things, to learn from them on a daily basis, section by section, how to pray, how to purify yourself, the wudu, the ablution, how to do these various things on a daily basis, keep learning. And inshallah ta'ala, after a short period of time, you'll see that you're now learning and you're understanding how to do the various things, and it will slowly become a greater level of understanding for you. Even in the narrations, it's mentioned how some of the people they used to become Muslim at the time of the Prophet Muhammad and they said we were new to Islam and we didn't know everything yet. We were new to Islam and so they didn't know everything yet. Slowly you're going to learn. So that's the way it is. Before you gain knowledge, there's going to be a level where you don't have that knowledge. That is natural. You don't have knowledge and then you slowly gain that knowledge. So it requires effort, requires effort, requires sincerity, being genuine in learning and striving. And inshallah ta'ala slowly, but surely you'll start to learn everything. I'm sure there's lots of books available in English. There are pamphlets and leaflets and books that explain how to pray, how to do ablution. The Salafi publications once have multiple leaflets, small leaflets. A leaflet about the prayer, a leaflet about ablution, a leaflet about this topic, that topic, all bite-sized, small leaflets with all these different topics. So they would be good. And I think they're available. Brothers have them. They have them here in, in stock. So you can get some of those as well, whoever needed them. Those kind of things are all available. Leaflets in bite-sized pieces of information about the religion. And there's many books as well. You could ring up the bookstore in Birmingham, find out what they have for new Muslim simple books. There's lots of things available. When you follow your fatwa, um, particularly when there's a differing opinions on the day of judgment day, are you as a person would be answering on, as obviously you're responsible for what you, uh, what you believe in, or is it 
The person who made the fatwa, if they are genuine and they are sincere, then there is no accountability upon them because if they get it right, they get two rewards, and if they get it wrong, they get one reward. You now, what your responsibility is that you don't just start doing whatever you feel like doing. Or somebody gave a fatwa, you can do this, let me do that. Somebody else gave a fatwa, you can do X, Y, and let me go do that. So you're basically just following your desires, doing whatever you want, looking for fatwas, as they call it, fatwa shopping. Like you go out looking for fatwas, can I do this, can I do that? Looking for different rulings. Like imagine now a Muslim, he wants to drink alcohol. And you know it's haram. But you go keep looking, 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 looking somewhere. Maybe somebody says, well, you know, this situation, that situation, you can have a bit. (laughs) Taking interest. Taking interest, you know, it's haram. Look around and you'll get plenty. That's not even uh, hidden anymore. Plenty of fatawa, mashallah. From all of these ikhwanis and everybody else. Interest, halal, you can take it. No problem, take the mortgage, take this, take that. So if you start following fatwas like that, you'll be responsible for that on the Day of Judgment. But if you're sincere and genuine, and you look into an issue, and there are differences of opinion, and they're all genuine differences of opinion about something, you sincerely strive, and you take an opinion, and you do it, then you're not accountable upon that. You've genuinely, sincerely looked at an issue, and you've taken an opinion of the scholars, that's the best you could do, you practice that now, then that's it. Nothing upon you like that then. But it's the thing about the fatwa shopping, when people do that, looking for easy way out on this and do this and do that and make this halal. That is where the problem is. Sheikh, I wanted to ask, um, you mentioned that you need to follow like the Quran and the Sunnah. So if a Muslim was only following 30% or 50% of the Sunnah, but they, didn't, they weren't aware of the other 50%, so they weren't being negligible, would that go against them? And if, is there sort of like a certain amount you've got to follow the Sunnah? The certain amount there is, there is a certain, now the question is, what if you don't know everything in the Qur'an, and you don't know everything from the teachings of the Prophet, then how are you going to practice all of that if you don't know it? And are you going to be accountable for not knowing it all? There's a certain level that everybody has to know. Um, There's a minimum level everybody has to know. That minimum level is the amount required for you to be able to fulfill the goal and the purpose of your creation. So you need to be able to worship Allah properly, because that is the goal of your creation. In order to worship Allah properly, you need to have a minimum level of knowledge. You need to know how to make wudu. Somebody who doesn't know how to make wudu, then how are you going to pray five times a day? You need to know how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, how are you going to do that five times a day? These are all minimum levels of knowledge. You need to know how to fast, because if you don't, what are you going to do in Ramadan? These are all called the minimum levels of knowledge every Muslim has to know. You can't say, well, I don't know what the rulings of fasting are. I don't know what the rulings of the prayer are, what to do. You can't. That's responsibility for you. How can you not know about the prayer, about wudu, about fasting? These are things, obligations upon you. So those minimum things, you have to get knowledge about. You have to go out of your way, strive and learn the knowledge on those minimum things. Obviously, at the head of all of those, Tawheed and Shirk, you have to know what Tawheed is properly. You have to know what Shirk is. Uh, worshipping Allah purely and not associating partners. You have to know that minimum. Minimum. And these prayers and uh, wudu and fasting and zakat and these things. Minimum level. You have to know all of those things. 
because you have to do them. Then over and above that, there could be higher levels of knowledge you might not get, but you won't be responsible upon that. You know, there could be about sciences of hadith and all different narrations you may not know of. Okay, you're going to lose out not being able to practice those relations, uh, narrations because you don't know them. But at least if you know the minimum level required, then that is what's a minimum. Anything else? If you see people out in the streets begging and you suspect that they may use your money if you give them some charity for alcohol, for drugs, for things like that, then don't give them money. Help them in other ways. Tell them, I'll offer to buy you a meal, I'll offer to get you a warm drink. Do something like that instead. If you're suspecting, you, you got a feeling because you know the area, you've heard other things, you've seen them do things, you think they're just going to take your money to go buy drugs or, or something else like that, then don't give them money. Offer to help them in other ways. Offer to go buy them a jumper if it's cold, buy them some food, clothes, take them to some shelter if you know something like that. Help them in other ways. If you fear that the money you give them, they're just going to use it for useless things. If you're able to help them in some way, then it's good. If you're able to help them in some way, then it's good. Hmm. Can an interest mortgage be acceptable in any circumstances? I know there's millions of opinions I've heard, but... No, there, there is only one basic opinion. Interest is haram. You cannot justify it as they all try to justify it. They say, oh, but if it's your first time you're buying a house, you've got necessity, you need to get one. What are you going to do? Otherwise, you can't rent all your life. Well, actually, you can. Yeah. And you can do lots, and lots of people do. So it's not a necessity. It's not like you need to buy a house, otherwise you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> it's not like that. So these, they're not necessities. You strive, you do your best. If renting is all that can be done, then that's the way it's decreed. You can't go and do a haram and say, you know, I'm going to take an interest-based mortgage or this and that. Or even these halal mortgages as they claim, Allah alam how halal they are. Lots of uh, terms and conditions in there, which is basically when you add it all up, it's just interest. Like any other contract. The amount of money and what you're going to pay them. So you have to be really careful with those. The fatwas that telling you it's permissible and everything, none of them are legitimate. Interest is haram. It's a major sin. You can't justify it with this or that. These are not justifications. In Islam, a justification can be, as we've done before in the past, compulsion. Somebody comes and they put a gun to your head and they say, renounce Islam. They put a gun to your head, they shoot you one in the knee, in the other knee. They say, next one's going into your head. Renounce Islam right now. So are you allowed to renounce Islam in that situation? You are. In your heart, you don't mean it. But you're going to say it. Otherwise, they're going to put a bullet in your head. So that is compulsion. This isn't compulsion. You have to buy a house, you have to go buy a car, you have to do these things. It's not compulsion. Where it's compulsion, okay. Like car insurance. It is compulsion in this country. You can't not have car insurance. It is a clear crime. And if you get caught, it is obviously fine. It's a crime. You can't commit crimes. So you have to get car insurance. But house insurance or other insurances, mobile phone insurance, no crime in not having that, so you don't get it. Mm. Like I said, all these so-called halal mortgages, I don't know how they all work in their different contracts. You'll have to bring the details of those contracts and they can all be looked at. 
But I don't know, I don't know. Many of them, they're not really legitimate. Most of the way they do. Yeah, there's lots of different things they do. So Allah, I'm not sure about all those contracts. Got a need for, say, business or uh, something of that nature, and you require to get a credit card just for security. When you're hard, you know you're not going to use it, but you only need that credit card for to get to that level or to get what you. Yeah, sometimes uh, there are certain trade transactions they require not just a debit card and those. You have to have a credit card. If you're saying like you've just said, you know, you're never, you're not going to touch it. It's going to come, it's going to stay in the envelope in your house. You're not going to touch it. You just need to have one in your name to say that I've got a credit card and to be able to do this at the other. In those circumstances, okay. Just It's going to be there, just there, just for the number I've got a credit card. You're never going to use it. You're never going to put any uh, debt onto it. You're not, you're not going to touch it. It's just there that I've got one. Yes, in my name, blah, blah, blah. So you can do your business or set up whatever you need to do. Okay. You're never going to touch it, never going to use it. Nothing's ever going to be done on it. Advice can you have for people uh, to go to graves after? Visiting the graves is okay. It is sunnah to go visit the graves as a reminder for yourself to give salam to the deceased. Visiting the graveyards can be a good thing (laughs) because it reminds you of death and it reminds you of your objective in life then. Because any moment that death could be you and you could be in that grave. So going to the graves is a good thing. Generally, just to visit and to give salam and to remember death, etc. That's no problem. Making it a regular thing, like we said, in a timetable schedule, that kind of thing isn't good. That's mentioned in the hadith, that And for the, the women, it's not recommended that they go on a regular basis, as it's mentioned in the narration. Occasionally, if they go, then it's okay, uh, according to the opinion. Allah alam, we haven't fully decided. Is it permissible to read X amount of Qur'an, portions of Qur'an, and attribute it to the dead person? No, no. Qur'an reciting for the deceased, it's not something which is uh, clearly established. So you should not read Qur'an to pass that on to the deceased. It's better. Charity, dua, those types of things you can. Umrah, hajj. But reading Qur'an and saying, I'm going to pass it on, there's... It's a very big gray area and it's better to be avoided. Give charity instead, make dua instead, do umrah for that person, those things. Can anyone do dua for a particular, any yes. person? Make dua for the whole ummah. Yeah. Make dua for all the Muslims, nothing wrong with that. Make dua for the non-Muslims, that they be guided to Islam. Can you make dua without having to, uh, for example, raise your hands or be in wudu and situation, let's say, for example, you're working. It can be. Dua, it's not a condition that you have to have wudu. It's not a condition that you have to raise your hands. These things are good. They help the dua in terms of it being answered by Allah. That's something preferable. You be in wudu, raise your hands, face the qibla. These are all the mannerisms of dua. That's the better way to do it. Are you aware of any duas if you're in danger that you can say at that time? Allah, I'll probably look at Hassan al-Muslim, see which ones there are in particular. There'll be uh, supplications and things. Like you're saying, you know, about the Quran, like these eight people died, the family reads so much to pass on to that person. Does mm-hmm. no, he have anything like your own family? It's a, it's a very, the, the, they call it ihda al amal lil amwat. Doing actions to uh, gift them to somebody else. That like you do some good deeds and you ask Allah that I want these good deeds, the reward of them, to go to somebody else. 
it's it's not an easy topic to discuss. There's a few things. Charity, you can do that. You know, you can give charity on behalf of somebody else, and they'll get the reward for it, and you'll get reward for doing it as well. You can do Hajj, Umrah, fasting in certain circumstances. These types of things you can do on behalf of others. But going into Quran and those issues, it's a much bigger topic. It's it's better avoided. Stay to the simple things that are mentioned. Quran, uh, sorry, not Quran. Charity, Dua, Hajj, Umrah, fasting. These are things that are mentioned. You can do. All right. Anything else? Last question. Go on. Children, when, when could you, should you should you try to get them to start praying? At what age is the best? It mentions in the hadith when they get to the age of seven. When they get to the age of seven, start teaching them. When they get to the age of seven, start teaching them how to pray, how to uh, make the wudu. They should start learning those things from the age of seven. From the age of seven, that's in the hadith. From the age of puberty. From puberty. From the age of puberty, and if they are very late in puberty, from the age of 15. Mm-hmm. If they haven't hit puberty by the age of 15, then they begin with the prayers and everything else. Otherwise, at the age of puberty, they should start doing everything. That's when they be written. So, we're going to round off on that then. Next week, se- uh, the class taking notice as well. We're going to have to start at 7.30 from now on. It's not going to be 7.15 anymore, 7.30 from now on, inshallah, for a, for a while anyway. So next week 7:30 insha'Allah ta'ala. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.